All right, all right. You can go ahead and have a seat if you would. Find your way. That's awesome. Hey, this is just kind of a commercial. Uh, I'd love to have you join us uh, every Sunday morning about 8.30. Uh, and we get here and we have coffee in the lobby and that's starting to grow. People are starting to get excited about coming. And so 8.30, we have coffee in the lobby and uh, then we come in and join in our service time together. So if you want to come early, beat the crowds, meet some new people, engage together, then I encourage you to do that. So this morning, I'm out there having coffee with some people and, you know, talking. And I talked with about 20 to 25 people this morning. And then I go back into, you know, around to come in through our conference room. And I stopped and dropped off my coffee cup. And as I looked down, I noticed that my pants were unzipped. <laughs> and then I said, okay, my hand's been like this the whole... So it was probably obvious, Okay. <laughs> That I was like this the whole time I was in the lobby, okay? So here's the deal. You want to be here because you never know what you're going to miss, okay? So I get to see the headlines. Pastor gets arrested for exposing himself in church lobby, you know? (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Oh, man, I tell you, it was something else. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, what's it going to be like when I'm... 77. <laughs> oh, my word. Okay, so here we are. We're in our second week. You've got to come back now. <laughs> second week in our Pray Like series. And what we're doing is we're looking, we're taking case studies of Old Testament characters and their prayers. And as they were in difficult situations, uh, how did they pray? How did they face them? Uh, what, what was their faith like and when they turned to God? And so we're doing that every week, and today we're going to look at Jacob and a prayer he prayed. I just want to say this as we begin. Prayer may be one of the most undervalued resources in the life of most followers of Jesus. Maybe one of the most undervalued resources in our families and even in our church. Uh, Last week and last year, at this same time, I did a message on prayer, or a series on prayer. And in that series, I talked about a book called Prayer, the Greatest Force on Earth. And I thought, you know, if we really believe that, then we would be more intense in our prayer life and coming to God. So I just want to kind of lay that out this morning as we start, as we jump in today, because God talks, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, God wants to provide for us, and then he provides his blessings primarily as we pray, as we ask him. So prayer is the conduit through which his power flows into our lives. And I said, today we're talking about Jacob. And so let me just introduce Jacob just a little bit. He's a man who spent a huge portion of his life looking for the blessing, the blessing. And so we're going to look at this prayer today as he prayed when he was desperate for God's blessings. He was looking for the blessing that his father did not pass on to him. And little did he realize as he went through all of his, uh, much of his adult life looking for that blessing and many different things that God was really the source of that blessing. C.S. Lewis writes about this, and this is what he says. Uh, He says, we're all looking for a blessing somewhere. If we don't get it from our parents, we'll try to get it from love or romance or a spouse. And if we don't get it there, we'll try to get it from our colleagues by being really great in our profession. And he goes on to say, even when you have a great job, you have a great spouse, you have great parents, The blessing never fully comes. It never really arrives 
or doesn't stick if it does. The blessing we look for is often elusive as it evades our grasp and we discover that what we thought would bring us blessing really doesn't satisfy. Anybody relate to that? Really doesn't satisfy. Well, that quote sums up Jacob's life. And I believe that that also sums up why so many people in our day live in deep desperation. Always looking, always pursuing something outside of themselves to prove their existence and why they're alive. So what I hope we get today as we walk through this story of Jacob together and we see is that no career, no job, no relationship, no trip or vacation, no possession, no accolade, no recognition, no reward or award can fill a tank that is empty. Can fill a tank that is empty. We're all like buckets with holes in the bottom. You pour something good in and it leaks out and it doesn't stay. We're all like that. So we're going to look at this defining moment in the life of Jacob. So if you would have your Bible, Genesis 32, you can open up there. If you don't have a Bible, grab one every week when you come in. There are racks outside. You can use it while you're here. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a gift. So you just take one today. It's our gift to you. We're in Genesis 32 verse 9 today. Also, you can grab out your message notes. All the verses will be here if this is what you would prefer. And then you can take some notes as well. So let's just begin a little bit by talking a little bit about the kind of man Jacob was so we can get an idea of why the prayer he prayed was so influential in his life. His identity was bound up in his name. He was named Jacob. And so you want to write this on your notes. Jacob means grabber, schemer, or deceiver. Grabber, schemer, or deceiver. That's what the word Jacob means. If your name's Jacob, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's what it used to mean, okay? It doesn't mean that anymore. I'm sure a great person. So that, that, but that's what it meant. Grabber, schemer, and deceiver. So he came out of the womb, the second of twins, okay? So his brother was born first, Esau. And as Esau came out of the womb, the Bible says that Jacob had hold of his heel, Grabbed hold and he was, he pulled, he came out second, but he was grabbing hold of what he could to get ahead even from the womb. Now in that culture, because Esau, his brother was born first, well, Esau became the favored child. Esau was the one who would inherit in this culture, the primary uh, holdings of the family. Uh, and that's the way that families survived in the system. They couldn't keep dividing it up because they needed to stay strong. And so the firstborn son would inherit the primary resources of the family at some point in the future. Now, we also know from reading the book of Genesis that Isaac, Esau's father, and Jacob's father liked Esau more than Jacob. So some of you have been in a you know, family, and I don't mean to pull on some hurt here, but where you knew there was a favored child and you weren't it, or you were it, this is kind of what was going on here. Esau was Isaac's favorite child, And Jacob was Rachel, the wife, the mom's favorite child. And so the dad let it be known to everyone that he liked Esau best. Esau was a man's man. Uh, He was hairy. He was bulky. He was a hunter. Uh, He was just a man's man. And Jacob, on the other hand, was not. He had smooth skin. Where Esau's out hunting, Jacob's home cooking, okay? So you got the idea here. There's a big difference in who they are. And so Esau, uh, Isaac was drawn to 
Esau. So then what Esau, Isaac did is because he was the supplanter, the grasper, the schemer, the deceiver, he was doing everything he could to kind of get ahead, to kind of cut corners and to get into a position that he knew wasn't his. And so uh, he, at a certain point, his brother was hungry, and so he fed him lentils. This is crazy. Esau was such a, you know, ravenous feeling kind of guy that he literally signed over his birthright for a bowl of lentils. Uh, and so that's what it was happening at this point. And so uh, that happened. And then later on, they didn't, you know, uh, Isaac never knew this happened or transpired in any way, but the two brothers did. And later on, it came time for Isaac to pass on the blessing to Esau. Jacob and Rachel heard about it. And so they created this elaborate scheme where uh, Esau went out hunting and Jacob went off and he, gra- he you know, they killed a lamb. They put lamb wool on his arms and they made a dish that they knew that Esau would have made a, a hunting kind of dish, and they go in, and then Isaac gets the blessing. I mean, Isaac gives the blessing to Jacob, which was due to Esau. Well, Esau gets totally ticked off because once it's given, it's, it's irreversible. And so Esau gets totally ticked off, and he says, I'm going to kill my brother. So Rachel, the mom, still concerned more for Jacob, says to Jacob, you need to get out of here. Okay, your brother's going wants to kill you. You just go away, and I'll send word when he's calmed down, and you can come home. Okay, so that's kind of what happened. That's where we're at. So then Jacob moves off into another land, and he lives with his uncle Laban. And so Jacob, the deceiver, the grabber, the you know the grasper, the schemer, he starts scheming. When he gets to this foreign land, he sees something, rather I'll say someone, that he thought, this is the one that'll fill me up. And he looks and he sees his future bride, his future bride. And and so he barters with Laban for her. Well, Laban was just as much of a trickster as he was. And in the process, he switched brides on the wedding night. You know, I know, it's really sad when you think about this. And... And um, Jacob ends up with Leah, the sister, and so and here's his place. So he ends up with her. So then he has to go through this whole other season, and they barter and barter to come here. Finally, Jacob ends up with two wives, two servant wives, and twelve kids. Okay, so that's what he ends up with, and all this bartering. And then he ends up filthy rich to boot. I mean, he's up. He just had so many sheep and herds and servants and those kinds of things. And then God comes and speaks to him comes and speaks to him. And this is recorded in Genesis 31, 3. This is what God says to him. Not in your notes anywhere. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. So what God does is God comes to him at this point, some 30 years later, so that Jacob could face what he'd been running from. So he could face it. But more than that, He wanted to deal with a hole in Jacob's heart. And I just want to say that to you today. God wants to deal with a hole in your heart that makes your heart unfillable, insatiable. He wants to fill it. And what we're going to learn today is is it not with possessions and it's not with awards and rewards and accolades and recognition. It's not with a relationship. He wants to fill it with himself. And that's what we're going to do. That's where we're going to go. He sends him home. Because it was at home that the hole was drilled in his heart so that at home his heart could be made whole. 
That's why he sent him home, and that's what would happen at this place. And so that's where we pick up the story. Jacob is now returning with all his wives and his children and his herds and his servants, and he's returning home. And he knows that because he's not heard from his mother in over you know, 20-some years, that that must mean that Esau is still ticked off. And so he starts sending gifts as he goes and sending gifts to his brother so he could try to appease him in some way. And this is where we pick up the story, okay, in verse 9. So here we are. They're getting closer. And Jacob prays because he's heard through the rumor mill, through one of his you know, um, agents, or one of his servants, he's heard that Esau is coming across the desert on his Harley with 400 Harley riders coming after him, okay? <laughs> They're coming to get him, okay? They're coming to get him in that place. Okay, so verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives. So I think he's kind of like, God, remember, you're the one that said to do this, and I'm doing it because you said, and you promised me, I will treat you kindly. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I own nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore, too many to count. So what I thought I'd do is i just begin today, for those of us who really struggle with how do we pray, this, there's a model right here that we can use in our prayer times to pray. So I, I just want to kind of just breeze through this this morning, give us the model of Jacob's prayer so that we can use this in our own prayer times. And there's four components of his prayer. And the first one is acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. So he's acknowledging God as God and who God is. The God of Abraham and God of Isaac. So he's adoring God. It starts with praise, as we talked about last week and again this morning Brian mentioned. He begins with praise. He reminds himself of who God is. Next is humility. It's humility. He comes to God confessing his own weakness and need. He says, I am not worthy. I am not worthy to be even in your presence. And so what this would be in our prayer time is when we come before God in that, that place, an act of reverence, because we know who God is, we've already declared who he is, and because of who he is, now we bow down in reverence before him and in humility. And in that time of humility, we confess. Because once you see God and you see yourself, you see how big the distance is between God and yourself and so there's something there that you need to confess and probably repent from in that place. And so the, that is the humility part. Next is gratitude. He, does, he speaks words of gratitude. He thanks God, God, here's what you've done. He talks about how much God has blessed his life. And so he spent time talking about how he is now a blessed man with possessions. And he's seen God work in his life. And that's just reminding him that God is there. And then the last is request. He lets his request be known. So there you go. You've got kind of acknowledgement, you've got humility, you've got gratitude, and you have requests. So that's kind of a model, if you wanted a model for your prayer life, maybe it needs a you know, jump start today, that you can actually pray. And the last thing to notice is this. Not only did 
Jacob asked God for what he needed, but he made his request based upon God's promises, based upon his promises. If you look up on the third line on your message notes, third line up from the bottom of that section, and it says, but you promised me. I meant to have you underlined it when I read it, but you promised me. So we drew God's attention to that place. And I just want to encourage you, just talk, take a pause here, is that God loves to hear you pray his words back to him. He loves it when you pray his words back to him. But it's not because he needs to be reminded of what he said. It's because we need to be reminded of what he said. That's why he likes it when we pray his words back to him. So we acknowledge who God is. He confessed or he came in humility. He had gratitude or thanksgiving. He had requests or supplications. Some of you are going, oh, I know that. That's the Acts model. How many of you already knew that? Acts model. So that's kind of what we just went through. That he did and he prayed. So now, here we go. He's had this prayer. And then what he did is what I often do. Immediately after he prayed, he's praying to God. Maybe he's on his knees. He's praying to God. And he says, but you promised me, God. And, this, 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 this. and he gets up and he goes, now how am I going to fix this? <laughs> Anybody been there? Okay, we all do this. How am I going to fix this? And this is what he says next. Jacob thought, this is verse 20b. Jacob thought, I will try to appease him. So now he's thinking about what he's going to do by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent that night in the camp. So he's done everything he can do. He's prayed to God. He's done all he can do. And so now he goes to sleep with all of his entourage still with him. And then this is what happens next. He wakes up in the middle of the night. Some of you, anybody ever, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, something's not right. And you're like, okay, I need to do something right now because there's something I need to take care of. Well, this is what happened. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. He's doing all this in the dark, all this at night. This left Jacob alone. Would you circle that word alone? In the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it. Now the word touched there, it doesn't mean, you know, jerked. It means touched touched his hip, and it wrenched it out of socket, okay? So this is, any of you ever have a hip knocked out of socket? Well, this is more than that. It's, it's not even going to be able to be repaired. And it says that he will limp the rest of his life. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? Would you circle that? What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Now, this is a section of the Bible that many of you are familiar with. It's called the Great Wrestling Match. 
and there are all kinds of opinions about what is going on here and what actually happened, but, you know, kind of the general idea that it's a wrestling match. Now, when I was thinking about wrestling, I was thinking about my favorite wrestler, and so I just want to read a quote of my favorite wrestler just to see if some of you might guess who it is. Here's one of the quotes that he gave in the movie I'm referring to. He says, I am the gatekeeper of my own destiny, and I will have my glory days in the hot sun. Who was that? Okay, wrestler. Remember this movie. Here was another one. Sometimes when you're a man, you wear stretchy pants in your room. (laughs) Nacho Libre, right? There we go. I just couldn't get, we watched this movie a few weeks ago as a family. We're sending Ryan out to college and we said, we have to do something to laugh tonight. So we watched Nacho Libre, one of my favorite movies about wrestling, okay? So when we get to this wrestling part, that's all I was thinking of this whole time. But that's not what happened, okay? Let's get this out of your mind. Some of you need to, you know, just take it out of your mind. Let's move on, another slide. And I want to give you what actually we can do, what happen in this story for us when we're desperate to receive God's blessing. There's four ideas. The first is this. I must get alone with God. I just circle that. I must get alone with God. Now, the word for being alone with God is solitude. Solitude. Some of you are starting to shake, right? Already. Solitude, I can't do that. Well, here's a quote from Dallas Willard. He wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines where he describes solitude and its benefits. And he says this. It should be on the screen, actually. He says, solitude well-practiced will break the power of busyness, haste, isolation, and loneliness. You will see that the world is not on your shoulders after all. So that's what happens. You will find yourself and God will find you in new ways. The soul anchor established in solitude will remain solid when you return to your ordinary life with others. So he's saying there are tremendous benefits to solitude. So solitude is when you break yourself away and you say, I'm going to be alone. And in that aloneness, that means I'm not going to have books. I'm not going to take books with me. I'm not going to have you know, TV to distract me. I'm definitely not going to have my phone, okay? So my phone can't go. No way. No music. This will be hard for some of you. And no distractions. No agenda. And then I just spend time alone with him. No agenda. Remember that. Because if you have an agenda the whole time, you're going to be sitting there saying, okay, God, speak to me about this. I want this. I've got to have something good from this time. I'm giving to you right now in solitude. And so you can get all caught up in that. Here is the primary benefit to solitude in your life. I love how Dallas Willard talks about this. It's so challenging to me because this, is, this just nailed me between the eyes. What happens in solitude is that you learn how to give up control of your life. Because when you get into solitude, that there's nothing in those moments that you can control and I remember the first time I practiced this, that we're like, you know, this, you know there's so much going on, the, the, the tension in my body, the difficulties going on. And I realized that I needed to be alone with God because I have a problem with control. And I just say that's every one of us as well. And so solitude is necessary. And so Jacob cleared everyone out. Everyone was away, and now he's alone with God, and he's confronted, as we're going to see in just a little bit, with everything he's been doing to control his life to fill the hole that he had. 
so he could have significance. Second is this, he had to hold on to God. He had to hold on to God. Now, some of you are asking, well, how do we know it was God? Well, just trust me, okay? <laughs> I just read, I've read so much about this. There's so many things that we could go through and talk about. You know, the, you know, the last one would be that uh, the man had to leave before sunrise. The, it says there had to leave before sunrise because the Bible says that no man can look upon God's face in daylight and live. So there's the last idea of why this was actually God. God restrained himself, pulled back his strength. You know, this is a fascinating thought, is that when they were wrestling, when the man, it says, came to wrestle Jacob, it used the word man. What's fascinating to me is that we talk about this story and we say, this is the story of Jacob wrestling with God. But do you know what actually happened? Jacob is sitting there all alone. He's sitting there all alone. And wow, out of nowhere, God jumps on him, you know, and slams him down more than likely. And they're wrestling around on the ground. Have you ever, anybody ever wrestle for, you know, like in high school or college? Wrestling is hard, isn't it? You're just on and you can't, it takes all your, all your muscles to do that. And so he's holding on for everything he had. God slammed him down. Now God restrained himself or he would have crushed him, right? He restrained himself, and then they went into this wrestling match, and he says, I am not giving up. And this is where some of you are at today. Some of you are at the place where you feel like you've been wrestling with God, however we look at that, and you're at the place where you're about to give up. And I just want to encourage you, I don't know when things might change, but I can encourage you from Jacob's story that even in the wrestling that God has a plan. And so we would want to say, I'm going to hold on to him. And what happened is, is then the angel or the God touched him in the side and his hip went out of place and then he limped for the rest of his life. Now, what's really cool about this, you think about Jacob, he's the grabber, the schemer, the deceiver. He was running all his life. He was running after stuff all his life. He was running away from things all his life. And from this moment on, Jacob would never be able to run again. He would walk from a, with a limp in weakness the rest of his days. Okay, third, be honest with God. Be honest with God. So here, we're now at the turnaround moment, okay? We're at the turnaround moment right here. So the man, God, asked Jacob, what is your name? Now, I just want you to think about this. This is God. He's restrained his strength, but he has not restrained his wisdom and his knowledge, his understanding. And so do you think that God didn't know Jacob's name? Think about it. He, he knew who it was that he was talking to. What he wanted is he wanted Jacob to realize that it was time for him to tell the truth about who he was and what he had become. And Jacob came clean. He came clean and he says, I am Jacob. And in that moment, he realized it meant heel grabber, grasper, schemer, deceiver, supplanter. I am Jacob. And so he got honest and he got real with God. And what he was saying in all of that, I am the one who needs to be blessed. I've been trying to fill up my hole all my life. Everything I put into my bucket runs out. 
keep putting in, it keeps running out. And I just need to tell you that this is who I am, and this is what I've been doing, and I need to be blessed by God. And God says, that's all I needed to hear. No more. You have wrestled with God and man and won. And now I'm going to rebrand you. I'm going to give you a new name. And your prize will be, get it, get it, here's, here's the prize. You have seen me. You have seen me. Wow. That's what we all need. Is to see God. And when we see God, he fills us up. He fills us up with himself. You see, Jacob thought that Esau was his biggest problem. And that what he needed most was for God to take care of Esau. In actuality, Jacob was Jacob's biggest problem. And Jacob needed God to change Jacob. See, sometimes we come to God in prayer. and We ask God to change X so that we can be happy. And God says, I want to change you so that you're happy whether you have X or not. And when you know me and you have me, then you can have fulfillment and happiness. So then I have to do the last step, and that is I have to receive the blessing. I have to receive the blessing. And this is where some of us still get stuck. We know the truth, and we still can't receive it. But Jacob did. And that night, God gave Jacob himself, and he filled his heart with the deepest longing of his heart, and that was to know his heavenly father. So knowing God is greater than any material or physical blessing from God. God wanted to Jacob to know that a relationship with him was better than any of the other of the blessings he might give. And just want to know, folks, we can't earn this gift. We can't deceive to get it. We can't steal it. We just have to do what Jacob did and receive it. Now look at what Hosea he writes in Hosea 12, he's talking about this incident, and he says this, Even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he even fought with God. Yes, he wrestled with an angel and won. He wept and pleaded for a blessing from him. He met God face to face, and God spoke to him. He saw God, and God filled in the holes in his bucket. And filled his bucket with himself. And Jacob, as far as we know, never struggled with significance again. Never struggled with feeling like he wasn't the one who was blessed. That from that day forward, he was no longer the deceiver, the schemer, the grasper, the grabber. He wasn't all about what I can get in order to be whole. He was about my relationship with God. It turns out that God's greatest blessing to you and me is himself. He is the one we long for. He is the one who can fill our buckets with blessings that never run out. He is the one who helps us be fulfilled. He is the one who gives us what we're looking for. He is the one who satisfies our soul. He is the one who meets our needs. He is the one who walks with us. He is the one who gives us value. He is the one who validates our existence. He is the one who calls us his beloved. His beloved. And we know 
from reading the Bible that Jacob's life was transformed after this moment. How do we know? Look at Hebrews eleven twenty one. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, probably about 147 or so, give or take, when he was old and dying, notice what he did? He blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed down in worship as he leaned on his staff because he had limped the rest of his life. And what we learn from this is that Jacob knew so well the power of the blessing that he went the rest of his life blessing everyone he could. How do you know if you've been blessed? You want to bless others. In desperation, we come to God. He fills us so that we can pour ourselves out on other people. Let's pray together. I just want to ask you this question right now. Who are you? I know that some of you wear labels, and I'm so sorry for people who would thoughtlessly, carelessly put a label on you. And you're stupid, or you're fat, too skinny, can never do anything. You always do this. Just labels of shame. I just want you to know that God says that is not your identity. Others of you have made tremendous mistakes. You've been down roads where you've made choices that have hurt others deeply. And you carry a label today. You carry the label of divorce, of adultery, crime, of addiction. And I just want you to know that that does not have to be your identity today. Others of us just carry this emptiness, this shame and guilt. And our label is that we're bad. And God wants to set us free from that label. And he did it through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ weakened himself, gave up himself, came to die, that God could show us through his death on the cross his greatest blessing. And here it is, that all those labels can be erased and that in Jesus Christ, right now, today, that you can know that you are the beloved, the blessed son or daughter of God, the beloved. Father, I pray that you would help this not just be a message or not just words and get stuck in our head, but it would flow down into the heart, the heart that is full of holes. You would help us, God, to know that we are safe in you. We are secure in you. We are significant in you because you gave your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Help us to be full. And then, wow, out of that, we can bless others. 
Oh, wouldn't it be no, oh, awesome, God, if everyone in this room, this church, became known as blessers of people? I pray that would be reality. I pray that we would pray desperate prayers of blessing. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.